Chapter 2, 2 Timothy, verse 1. It says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Though therefore, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider that I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. And we'll stop our reading there. Uh, if I had a title for my message tonight, I don't always do this, but uh, the title of my message tonight would be The Soldier, the Athlete, and the Farmer. The Soldier, the Athlete, and the Farmer. Uh, and here the Apostle Paul uses these analogies and these pictures to show us something about the Christian life. And for me, I love analogies. I love pictures. And when uh, you can use something that I have somewhat of an understanding of to, an ex to explain a spiritual situation, it helps me. Uh, I need those kind of things. I'm, I'm kind of dull. So I need that kind of help. And here the Apostle Paul uses uh, three pictures or three types to show us something about the Christian walk, about discipleship and following Jesus. Uh, he talks of the soldier. Uh, he talks of the athlete. And he talks of the farmer. And I just want to look at those three things tonight and, um, and just ask that you pray that, that God would be our helper uh, today. Let's just stop and pray for a moment. I know we just prayed, but I just feel like praying before we look to his word. God, we pause and we bow and we try in our weak way to humble our hearts before you this evening. God, we love you so much and we're so very thankful that you left us with your word god i pray as we read it tonight uh, with our limited understanding and our, our limited ability to learn uh, god i just pray that your holy spirit would do his great work that he would enlighten our minds that he would encourage our hearts that he would strengthen us dear lord to to understand your word to make it alive in us lord i pray god that we would leave here today closer to you and as your servants, Lord, we would have a zeal and a passion to serve you this week. And God, that we'd be consistent in our walk with you. Lord, we pray that our lives would demonstrate our love for you. For Lord, tonight you truly do know what's in each and every one of our hearts. You know where we stand with you and you know uh, what's inside of us. And God, I pray that our lives would demonstrate the love that is in us. God, we love you and we praise you and we ask you to help us tonight. Amen. Amen. Um, uh, I want to really talk about the verses 3, um, 4, 3 through 6 are the ones that give these three illustrations of these three uh, types of duties. Um, but I will say, as far as verse 1 is considered, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I think it is important to understand, and I think Paul knew this and was teaching Timothy this, that these things which he was going to instruct him and the things which he was going to encourage him to do as a faithful minister of the Lord, he would need the grace of God. And that seems like a simple thing to say, but we can never forget that. That if we are going to live lives of, uh, of faith, live lives of, uh, of purpose, live lives that are pleasing unto God, it will be by the grace of God that we're able to do that. 
We need his strength. We need his help. And for us to even fulfill these things, which we're going to talk about tonight, we have to be wholly dependent on the Lord to give us the strength and the grace to be able to do it. Uh, And I think he was instructing him there to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. For where sin abounds, grace does much more abound, Paul wrote in Romans. And we must always understand that. No matter how much sin we encounter in this world, the grace of God abounds more than the sin. And as God's children and as God's servants, we must be dependent upon that grace for our strength. It is when we try to hold on to our own strength or our own personal understanding, when we make a mess of things. But when we can dependently fall on the feet of Christ and say, Lord, use me. May your strength be shown in my weakness. That's when he gives us the grace that is sufficient for all things, the Bible tells us. So we must be dependent upon his grace today, and without his grace, we can do none of these things. Uh, Really, this chapter is about the demands of Christian discipleship. Do you understand tonight that Christianity and being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not an easy thing? And I think sometimes religious organizations paint it as that, like, oh, you just need to give your life to the Lord and everything will be great. You ride this cloud until you get to heaven and everything's fine. That couldn't be farther from what Jesus taught. And Paul is teaching Timothy here, and Paul had been through a lot at this point, a lot of things that Timothy hadn't, and he was writing from an elder perspective saying, look, I've faced a lot of things. And Paul, uh, more than any of us can say, had faced a lot of things. He had been beaten for Christ. He had been locked up. He had been on a boat that was out in the storms, lost in sea. He had been locked in prison time after time again and beaten for the cause of the Lord. And he had suffered some things on his walk for God. And here he's writing to Timothy, who is younger and coming up in the ministry, and he's going to teach him some things. And he's saying, look, Christianity is not just a walk in the park. It's not butterflies and rainbows. It is a demanding thing. And I want us to understand that today and not run from that or try to change the message of the church, but that we would teach the message of the Bible and the message of the Lord and that Christianity is demanding. And it's not just going to be a walk in the park and we're not going to see revival come back to this this community and we're not going to see power in our church without sacrifice and without, uh, you know, sacrificing a few things, without, uh, without a cost is what I was looking for. We're not going to see revival without a cost. And Paul understood that and he was teaching Timothy that. Look, if, if you're going to be a faithful servant of God, it's not going to come without cost to you. I think that's true of Timothy, and I think that's true of every single Christian in this room tonight. If you want to serve God, if you want to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ in this life, it is not going to come without cost. It's not going to come without cost. Now, let me tell you this. The blessings far outweigh the costs. The blessings of walking with the Lord and following Christ in your life and being a a disciple and being a witness for the Lord in this world comes with blessings that far outweigh the cost, but it will come with costs, and we need to understand that. So let's look at these three uh, pictures that he was painting of these three type type of uh, occupations or three type of men uh, and see kind of how they apply. And certainly they apply and there's meaning deeper than what we'll cover tonight, and I hope uh, the Lord will help you to understand some of those things. There's cost in winning a war, right? The first person he talked about was a soldier, and a soldier isn't victorious in war without great cost. And we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but I think we're all, we all understand that, that, that there is great cost in, in a soldier serving his country. 
There's great cost in putting your life on the line uh, for the freedoms of others. There is a great cost that comes with laying it all out there. It's a cost that may even end in their lives being taken. And often it does. We see in war that our young men and women in the service, they go across seas and they go to these different war places and they even lay down their life for the cause of freedom. And he uses this picture of a soldier to show us that there is a cost in following Christ. There is a cost in an athlete who wins victory. You think of the great athletes of our world and you think of the ones that have won world championships in all of these professional sports. And you talk to them and you say, was there a cost that came with reaching this level of ability? And each and every one of them would say, I can't even tell you the cost. How many days that I spent, how many hours that I spent, how much of my, uh, my blood and sweat and tears that I poured into this thing. They had to probably neglect some things and put some things aside to devote themselves to winning that prize. There was a cost that came with it. There's a, there's a cost in the farmer receiving a harvest. Uh, and I, I'm not the best to speak on farming. I don't know much of it. Some of you could speak much better on it. But the fact of the matter is, is that you reap what you sow. And unless you pour some of your own sweat and blood into, into, the, into the crop, there's not going to be a great harvest. And there's a cost that has to be paid. And if we're going to be faithful disciples of Christ and we're going to be strong servants for him, there's going to be a cost. Let's look at a soldier for a little bit. Uh, verse 3, it says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So the first thing he says is that a good soldier has to endure harshness or hardness. Really, endure hardness or suffer evils. It's not really fun to dwell on or to think on, but the fact of the matter is, and Jesus taught it all through the New Testament, is that if we were going to faithfully serve him, that we will have to suffer with him. That it's a blessing to be able to share in his sufferings, to be counted worthy enough to suffer for the cause of Christ is a great blessing. And I don't think that we've faced enough suffering in our day that where we get very comfortable and very at ease. And we, we sit back on the Lord and we're not used by Him. But I tell you what, if we're going to be a faithful servant of the Lord, it will come with suffering. We get to share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. It won't come without hardship and it won't come without suffering. We see that in the soldier's life, that he puts his life on the line. I can't remember the percentage, but there's a pretty healthy chunk of people that quit in basic training. They can't handle the rigors of it. They think that they're going to go there and it's just going to be something that they can get through and then go on and do whatever they want. But the, the military is a demanding thing. They demand a lot of you. And it's not just a walk in the park. That if you're going to be a good soldier and you're going to lay your life on the line and you're going to stand and fight for this country, there's going to have to be some things that you're going to have to suffer and that you're going to have to face hardness. And Paul's saying that's the same for the Christian soldier. There, it's not just a walk in the park and it's not just easy. And if you're holding on to some sort of superficial Christianity, I tell you what, when the day of testing comes, it'll all fall apart. We need real Christianity, real life-saving power of Jesus in our hearts. And when he's truly saved us and truly empowered us to serve him, when that day of testing comes, we can suffer for the Lord. We need to have that strength, the strength of a soldier, to even go to the point of giving up our lives for the Lord. And haven't we grown soft? 
I mean, I look at my generation and I think, wow, we are the softest group of people that have been on the face of the earth. We have all these things handed to us and given to us. We never had to fight for anything. We never had to give our life on the line. We've just been handed all this stuff. And that is not how the service of the Lord goes. We have to fight. We have to give something up. It's not for those who are soft. And it's not those who are soft. You will have to face some, some hard things, some sufferings. And, and a good soldier does it willfully and joyfully. Because, listen, because no man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So the first thing it says is that, that, that he, that a man that warreth does not entangle himself with the affairs of this life. Now, uh, some people might say this, but I don't believe it's what he's talking about at all. And you're reasonable people, so you can uh, understand it for yourself. He didn't want us to then go and live in caves like monks. He didn't want us to just go away and separate ourselves from anything that this world is. But like a soldier, he lays aside all of his ambition and all of his desire as a secondary thing to his main purpose. He lays those things aside. Surely he has some ambitions of his own. There's some things that he would like to do and some things that uh, they would want to do. But when it comes to his duty and, and following the orders of his officers and following, uh, giving his devotion to the country, he lays aside those ambitions and he puts his own life on the line for the cause of the one that called him to be a soldier, to fight for his country and to fight for his commanding officer. They will put their life on the line and put their things aside. And Paul's saying to, learn, to serve the Lord and to fight the Christian fight, we're going to have to take our ambitions and our desires and we're going to have to make them secondary to the primary goal and the primary focus in winning people for the cause of Christ and glorifying Jesus with our lives and winning people for the Lord. That's primary. And if we're going to be good soldiers and we're going to fight in the way that Jesus desires us to fight, those other things have to be secondary. They have to be pushed aside for that main goal. Too often the things of life become the primary focus of our lives. And whether they're sinful or they're not sinful, they have no right being primary. Jesus deserves, excuse me, Jesus deserves preeminence in our lives. He deserves to be first and foremost in our families, in our relationships, in our lives, and in our workplace. Whether that's a secular workplace or not, Christ needs to be preeminent and deserves to be preeminent in our lives. We cannot entangle ourselves with the affairs of this life. Can you imagine a soldier in his effectiveness if all he could do and all he could think about was all of these earthly things? And here he is on the battlefield and all he, all he wants to do is, uh, you know, whatever his desire or ambition is, he'd be a poor soldier, wouldn't he? But the good soldier is focused on the mission. There's a target and there's a goal and he is focused on that goal. And a good soldier in the, in the work of the Lord will be focused on the Lord. Uh, Steve Skinner, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Steve Skinner very much, but I used to love to, to hear him preach. He used an analogy of mowing the lawn a lot. He said, if I was going to mow a straight line, I'd have to find something off in the distance, set my eyes upon it, and not look away. And he would say, sometimes I'd be distracted. I'd try to look down at, uh, you know, at, the, at the mower. I'd try to look at this or something would happen. And I'd look back and my line would be all crazy. He said, but if I could focus my eyes on this point fixed out in the distance and I would follow that and not deviate from it, I'd look back and that line would be as straight as possibly could be. I've tried that with my mower. He's true. He knew, he knew what he was talking about. 
But that's the same thing in serving the Lord. If we can keep our eyes fixed and focused on Christ Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and we'll fight this good fight with him as our focus and as our life, then we can lay down our life like Paul and say, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith. Isn't that what we want to do when we go to lay our lives down, be able to look back at the things of our life and say, I have fought a good fight, I have kept the faith. A good soldier has hardness and suffering that he has to face, but he does it because he wants to please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. (laughs) The Bible calls God's children a chosen people, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, those that have been delivered from darkness into his marvelous light. And it tells them to go forth and and show people your good works, that people might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Don't you want to serve him today to please him? Don't you want the Lord to be happy with your life? Don't you want him to look down at the things that you're doing on a day-to-day basis and be pleased with you? Let's fight as good soldiers. Let's endure hardness. Let's push all, all, all ambition and all self-desire, whether good or bad, let's push it secondary to the main cause of glorifying the Lord and winning people for Christ. And let's keep our, uh, let's keep our focus on worshiping and pleasing the one who has called us into this thing in the first place. And that's Christ Jesus. Secondly, in verse 5 it says, And if a man also strive for masteries, yet, it, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. Uh, and this is some... Uh, King James language that is a little hard to understand, but the word strive means to, in, uh, it's the Greek word athleto, something of that, where athlete comes from. It's to embark on an athletic thing, to do something, uh, some sort of game or sport athletically. And Paul was using that, there were the games of the day, uh, to paint a picture. And he says, uh, someone that competes in an athletic event is never going to win or be crowned or win the prize unless he does it lawfully or he follows the rules and I thought about this and uh, you know I think about some of the athletes of our day and age that didn't keep the rules uh, Lance Armstrong was one of them we we know how many races that he he won on his on his bike and all the Tour de France's and those things he he became a legend in the world of biking yet now he's been caught he he cheated you know he took steroids and, and, and drugs that enhanced him uh, past the point where he was and they went back and they took and they took all those things away uh, they took all his wins away and his medals away and everything that he had earned and said he didn't follow the rules he couldn't be counted as a winner uh, and that has happened in many sports and many different things that people look back and they tried to go about it the wrong way uh, there are rules There is a law to follow as God's people. Uh, And people have messed this up because some people have gotten to the part where they're pharisaical or they're legalistic and they make so many of their own rules and their self-dictated rules upon their church and upon their congregation that that, that all serving God is about is following rules and being, uh, you know, and that's how you win righteousness is by following this set of rules. And that's not what he's saying at all. And then some people have taken it to the exact opposite pole and say, there are no rules and there's no, it doesn't really matter and we have Christian freedom, we can do whatever we want. And it's just, we'll do this all willy-nilly. But the Lord has given us rules and commandments. 
And we can't shy away from that. And he hasn't done it uh, to dictate our lives, but he's done it to give us freedom. And that may sound like an oxymoron today, but I want you to know that true freedom is found in obedience. That's kind of a paradox to think obedience and freedom go together. But it's the truth of the matter. You see, it's the people that think they have freedom and they're making all these decisions for themselves that are destroying their lives. And they say, well, I have freedom. I can choose to do this and I can choose to do that. And they're destroying their lives into broken pieces under this foolishness of thinking they have freedom. But then it is the one that finds uh, Christ and is saved by his grace and then becomes obedient to the things that he would have in his life. And in that obedience, we find Christian freedom. And we were able to rejoice and live lives of freedom in being obedient to the Lord. Just as a good parent gives their children rules. They give them rules because they love them and they realize that if they walk outside of those rules, it's going to harm them and it's going to hurt them and it's not going to be most beneficial to them. And earthly parents aren't always the best at being perfect. We mess up. Sometimes we give rules that we shouldn't. Sometimes we don't give rules that we should. We don't get it right. I want you to know that the Lord got it right. And the rules and the commandments that he has given his children are for our best. Therefore, that's how we thrive in Christian discipleship. That's how we thrive in our work for Jesus. Is by following the dictates and the things that he has laid out for us to do. Now, don't get me wrong. I want you to understand you can never earn favor with God by following rules. You can never earn salvation by doing certain things or commandments or following the law. That wasn't the intention of the law. The law was a schoolmaster, the Bible tells us, to show us our sinfulness and get us to go to Christ. Uh, but I want you to understand this, and I think the picture is clear. We're studying about Moses and the, and the children of Israel being delivered from bondage. God delivered them from the bondage of Egypt before he gave them the law. And that's how God does to us. We're not saved by the law, but God delivers us from bondage. He delivers us from sin. He saves us. And then he gives us his law so that we can live joyfully and, and, and good in, for the Lord. You understand that today, that he sets us free and then he gives us these rules or he gives us these laws so that we can please him and that we could walk worthy and pleasing unto him. It says that a, a, an athlete can't win unless he plays, uh, but that he does it by the rules. Uh, an athlete is disciplined and it takes discipline to be a child of God uh, and, and it takes discipline. So it, it takes someone devoted as a soldier and it takes someone as disciplined as an athlete, you, you look at these athletes and all of their working out and all of their dieting, and the best athletes have such a strict discipline about everything. Uh, we can learn something from that, to have discipline in our service uh, for the Lord. Lastly, it talks in verse 6 about the husbandman. Uh, that's the vine dresser or the sower, uh, and in this case, really the, the farmer. Uh, the farmer that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Again, I'm not the best one to talk on farming, uh, but I hope that I can paint the picture that Paul was trying to paint here, or better yet, that the Lord would paint it. Farming is hard work. <laughs> I don't have to have done it to understand it. Uh, and, uh, you know, being in that farming community in Missouri and uh, being around different farmers in my life, I don't think I've ever met a harder working group of people in my life. People that are not only uh, dedicated, but they're disciplined. Uh, and at the crack of dawn, they're out of bed, whether they feel like it or not. They're out there 
tending to their crop or to their, their livestock or whatever the case may be. And they're out there because they're never going to get a harvest unless they work hard. And that's true in Christian service today. We can't expect a harvest unless we work hard. There's absolutely, I've said this here before and I'll say it again, there is no substitute for hard work. And church, I want you to know today that we're not going to see uh, the power of God in our services and we're not going to see these pews full and people being saved unless we're willing to work hard. And I think of a farmer and, and you know, no matter how the conditions are or the weather outside, uh, maybe it's this way or that way or whether they wake up with aches in their bodies or not, if they want a bountiful harvest, they're up in the morning and they're doing the work that is set before them. And that's what Paul is trying to teach us today as God's people, that whether we have aches or pains or whether the weather's right or not, we have to faithfully and diligently serve the Lord. Something I love about farmers is that they have a routine and they keep that routine. And on a daily basis, they do that. I want you to know serving the Lord is about routine sometimes. Now, I don't want it to get so routine. We don't want it to get so routine that we uh, forget the service and the love that we're trying to serve the Lord with. But it, it, it is about routine sometimes. It's about having a Bible reading routine. It's about having a praying routine. It's about having things set up in your life that will help you stay close to the Lord. And if we're going to be good and faithful servants of the Lord, we're going to have to have those things in our lives. I think too often uh, we're so soft that we, we say, you know, well, it's not 72 degrees out and it's not sunny and perfect outside, so I think I'll stay home today. We're not going to get anything done like that. That's not what the Lord would desire. And I, I pray that we would have the heart of a farmer uh, that, that desires a good harvest. We preached on Galatians 6 and 9 uh, not too long ago, and I, I believe someone read it this morning in Sunday school, but it says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You see, because not only is the work of a farmer a demanding one and a hard one, but it's one that bears a harvest and a blessing in the end. It's one that if they are faithful and they are hardworking and they put their sweat and their blood into this crop, that at the end of the thing, they can be joyful in the harvest and all that the God has provided. And he says, uh, that husband that laboreth must be the first partaker of the fruits. There is a great blessing in the services of God. Yes, it is a demanding thing. And yes, it is a hard thing. And yes, there will be some suffering. But in the end of the thing, there's a great harvest and there's a great blessing in serving the Lord. There is a blessing that far outweighs any of the hardship that you may go through. I love these pictures uh, that he has laid out before us. The word that comes to me, and I'm almost done, is the word commitment. Commitment. A good soldier is a committed soldier. Committed to death. The best athletes in the world, most committed people I've ever seen, committed to their, to their craft, committed to their sport. Farmers, they're committed. <laughs> They're committed to their crop. They're committed to their livestock. They're committed to the work that's before them. But God wants committed people in his work. God wants people that are full bore in. He doesn't want 90% of you. He doesn't want 99% of you. He wants all of you. 